Is anybody here who has not heard James Barron speak before? Let me see a show of hands. One, two, everybody else has heard him. Okay, good. Uh, the rest of you can leave. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, James is a dear friend of ours. Uh, he's uh, certainly uh, been given a message from God that is uh, unique in the kingdom. Uh, it's not unique in the scriptures. It's just unique in the kingdom uh, because uh, so many have missed it. But uh, James, uh, through divine revelation, I think he's got the same revelation Paul had. I think it's interesting that God took an attorney and gave him the message of grace. That's just a uh, a marvelous concept to me. So uh, James is here to, to bring the, the message of light and hope and share uh, from his heart uh, today and then again tomorrow morning at uh, 10 a.m. So with that said and done, uh, James, uh, if you're ready, uh, let's give him a big Slidell welcome, all right? It's always good to be here. Good evening, everybody. Thank you. It's like home, away from home. Home away from home is Slidell for me. What's that? Well, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I really appreciate all the, all the encouragement and love I feel here. And um, let's just pray briefly, and then I want to share a few thoughts, not go long tonight, and uh, hope it's encouragement to all of us. Lord, we just thank you that only you can open our eyes. We pray, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, that you would open our minds, that we might understand the scriptures. I pray, Father, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to be released. I pray that any barriers to that revelation would be dismissed. Lord, in Jesus' name, I come in the name of Jesus and I thank you, Lord, that you are with me. I come in your authority. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your grace, the power of your spirit. I pray your people would be so blessed tonight, so encouraged. Open our eyes even more, Lord, to see more fully. As you said, it would be brighter and brighter into the perfect day, like the sunrise. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> One of the things the scripture says that will happen in the latter years before the Lord returns is that the power of evil, the power of darkness will seek to wear out the saints. Wear out the saints. Do you feel sometimes worn out? With the problems in this world and the problems in our personal life and the problems with the neighbor's personal life and, you know, other people's problems and, and just generally speaking, the spiritual atmosphere of this world is it's intensifying in terms of the battle between light and darkness. But we can rest knowing that the scriptures, the prophets, and Jesus himself said this would happen and to not be discouraged. He said this is going to happen. This is part of the winding up of this world. In fact, he said we would actually see it in the physical. The physical world itself will begin to convulge and earthquakes and more earthquakes in more places than you've ever seen before and more waves, uh, tidal waves, Jesus said, you know, would come on the earth like uh, tsunamis like never before. And he said this would be all a picture of, of the, the end of an age as the world begins to really to give birth to a new world. In fact, Jesus said it would be like birth pangs 
of a woman giving birth. It would, it would be more intense and closer together. The contractions will be closer together and more intense as the new world approaches. And this has nothing to do with man causing climate change. The devil has hijacked the whole reality that God said would happen on the earth and the change of the earth as we, as we approach the new age, as we approach a new world and a new heavens. The devil has hijacked that reality and called it something that he's trying to use to his benefit. There's always been hurricanes and earthquakes, but Jesus said that as we approach the end, it will increase in intensity and in frequency. And we're seeing that. And you can, it's documented, easily documented. And it's not because you drive an SUV. <laughs> this is a God thing. This is, this is a God thing. This is bigger than little man and his uh, carbon dioxide. This is huge. This is the, the end of an age coming and a new one about to burst forth. And we will see it more and more, the earth convulsing. Men's hearts failing them for fear of what's coming upon the earth. I mean, they're meteorites, all kinds of things we may see. We don't know. Signs in the skies. All these things were prophesied to come. But Jesus told us these things beforehand so that we would not lose heart or be discouraged. For he said, when you see these things, know that your redemption draws near. Because this is, this is not our home. And we look for a new heavens and a new earth. God sees really only two cities on the planet. He sees, he sees Babylon and he sees New Jerusalem. He only sees two cities on this, on this world, in this world. And there's a population of Babylon. There's a population of the New Jerusalem. And the, the population of the New Jerusalem, of which you are part, are those who have been born from above, whose mother is Jerusalem, Galatians says. That's your origin now. We're no longer from below, but now we are from above. We are from the Spirit, from the heavens, having been born of the Spirit. So you and I, we are actually the population of the New Jerusalem now. This is the city of the New Jerusalem. The people are the city. And as we approach the end of this age, and as in, if also in our own lives, the manifestation of that reality will come be shining brighter and brighter through our own lives. And there will be a contrast of darkness from the city of Babylon, which is all of the world, and the city of the New Jerusalem. Now, God is reaching out to the city of Babylon, just like we are. God in us, Christ in us, beseeches Babylon, come out of her, come out of her, my people. Come, believe. Come, you have no money, come and buy. Come and drink freely without cost. Come drink of the water of life. And so God is always calling to Babylon to, call, to come, to come, to come. You who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. And believe me, Babylon is weary. You think you're tired. You're in the light and you're tired. They're in the darkness and they're beat up. They have no hope. They're in chaos. They're in confusion. They're in fear. They have no anchor. You think you're suffering a hundred times worse because they're in darkness and they don't even know it. They have no anchor, no rudder. But God calls to all. And that call is a simple call. The call is to simply believe on his son. God's answer to darkness is not grace it's not more Bible study. It's not church. It's not seminary. God's answer to darkness is the revelation of his son, Jesus. Paul said that God called me to preach his son, to proclaim his son. What I want to share a few thoughts about this morning about is one of the reasons we get weary, one of the reasons we get tired and beat up is we lose sight of the simplicity of Christ. The simplicity of Christ. 
God put everything in Jesus. Everything. Scripture says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. I love that. Most of the treasures? No. All. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. How can that be? You mean all the treasures? Yeah, all the treasures. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. How can that be? Think about this, saints. God's mind, the way God thinks, he thinks, if you want to say it this way, he thinks in concentric circles. Concentric circles are circles within circles within circles so that every circle has the same center. Concentric circles. The same center, but there's a circle here and a circle around that one and a circle around that one. There's different circles, but there's all one center. God thinks like that, if you can look at it that way. God thinks like that. And we can see it in creation, I believe, because when you look at the galaxies, look at the huge galaxies, you see circles within circles, and you see the manifestation of the mind of God. Galaxies revolving around galaxies, and within the galaxies, solar systems revolving around solar systems and planets around suns. You see this revolving circles within circles. And when you look, even, that's, that's huge, looking at the huge picture. Look at the tiniest pieces of creation that God made. Look at the molecule. You have, the molecule is also with neutrons and proton, protons going in circles within circles, revolving around each other. The very tiniest elements of, of creation is this, is this mark of God, circles within circles. What is this? I mean, you drop a rock into a pond and you have circles within circles within circles. Even sound waves are like, they're like spheres that go out in all directions, circles within circles within circles. When, when the prophet saw the glory of God, he said, I see a wheel within a wheel. It was a, it was a huge key God gave him. The wheel within a wheel, a circle within a circle was a clue to how the mind of God works. Now, what does this mean? It means, saints, that he who has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in him is the center of God's thought. All things were made by Jesus the Christ, the Word made flesh. All things were made by him and through him and for him. The Spirit of God renews our minds to think like God thinks. This is too simplistic thinking for the natural man. It's foolishness to the natural man. But it's, it's the highest knowledge there is. It's the highest it is in the fabric of creation. It's in, the, it's in everything that has been made. All speaks of him. All things, Paul said, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. Because through him, in him, with him, we can see God. We can know God. No man comes to the Father except through him. To look at Jesus is to look at the Father. It is the only way man could look at God was through Christ. You know, we went to see that total eclipse that they, we had recently. My son is in Clemson University, at Clemson University in South Carolina, so we were up there to see the eclipse. And it was an amazing thing. I'll never forget it. I want to go to the next one. I think the next one is in 2024 in Texas. The Lord willing, I'd like to go to see that one, but it was an amazing thing. We had our glasses on, you know, and we could see the, the moon coming across the sun, blocking the sun out gradually. It looked like Pac-Man for a while there. <laughs> and then eventually it covered it. And the strangest thing happened when you're looking at it with the glasses, when the moon finally covered the sun, and by the way, that's a whole story. I think I've shared that before, but that's a miracle how the sun and the moon are the exact same size as viewed from the earth. It's a picture of God. We'll talk about that later, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so 
when it blots out the sun, you're looking at it through the glasses, what happens is everything goes black. You don't see anything. You can only see something when the sun is brightly shining with those glasses on. So the moment it covers the sun, everything is black through the glasses. So you take the glasses off. You can see now without harm to your eyes. So you take the glasses off and you look. It's awesome. It's this big black hole, like a hole into the universe almost. It's the blackest black I've ever seen. It's a black hole in the sky. Everything is dark around you. The crickets are beginning to chirp. I mean, I think it's nighttime. And it's black, a black hole in the sky. And out from the black hole are these white ribbons of light coming out that are not moving fast, moving very slow, like almost in place, really, because they're moving so far away. But you see this aurora of the sun's light, the rays coming forth out from the sun. But it was like, man, I just I got a revelation when I saw that. I was thinking, because the sun speaks of God, because we revolve around the sun, we are... The sun gives us our life. So the sun speaks of God. The moon speaks of man because man revolves around the earth. So the moon is a picture. We haven't, we haven't, I think we talked about this one time, but the moon is a picture of Christ, the faithful witness. And now the church is the faithful witness in Christ. But the revelation of God was that the only way you can look at the glory of God is if Christ is standing in a place where it's, he's in union with the Father. You see it? You can take the glasses off without harm. You can look directly into the glory of God and not be harmed if you look directly at Jesus. If you look directly at Jesus, you can see the Father without being harmed because no man can see him directly and survive. You know, Moses wanted to see his glory, and God says, no man can see me and live. Directly, but what I'll do, Moses, I'll pass before you. Well, before that, he said, he said, there's a there's a place by me. I love that. There's a place by me, and I will place you in the cleft of a rock, and I will pass before you, Moses, and I will hope, put my hand to shield you from this bright glory. And after I pass before you, I will take my hand away, and you will see just the tail end, just the end of the glory, the sparkling end, like the tail of a comet. You will be able to see and handle that, but that's all you can handle, Moses. Isn't that awesome? That's a picture of Christ. There's not really a rock somewhere on Sinai that you can, that's a place next to God. No, he was talking about his son. He said, there's a place. There's a place by me. And I will place you in that place. I will put you in that place. The scripture says it is of God that we've been put into Christ. It is of God by the Holy Spirit we've been put into Christ. Rock of ages, cleft for me. We sing that song. And what is the hand? The hand is the coming of Christ into the earth. And, the, and Christ leaving the earth, having accomplished his work. You know, now we can see. Now we can see the glory of God. You see, see what I'm saying there? But what was I, what was I thinking about? Oh, and so the, the, the key saints to see is that the center of God's heart, the center of God's heart is the Son. It's Jesus himself. You know, there's a great thing that's happened in the churches recently, and that is that we have... We've been preaching, we've been teaching about the grace of God in, in a way that has been just phenomenal in the last, last few decades. And we're kind of in the middle right now of this, uh, like a grace revelation, a grace revolution. And for years the church was in legalism and mixed with law and grace and its teaching and its understanding. But over the last few decades, there's been a huge revelation and understanding of God's grace and God's love. And it's changed everything. It's been amazing how it's brought life to the church and it's been just amazing. And the way I see it, like the first, the first reformation, the first reformation 
with Luther beginning it. And by the way, we're, we're, we're coming up on the 500th anniversary of when Luther, you know, nailed his 95 Thesis to the door. October 31st, 1517, he nailed his 95 Thesis to the church's door, which began, which was the catalyst to begin men looking at the scripture again instead of just listening to what the leaders in the church were saying truth was, and they began to search the scriptures again. That's when man came to realize that we are justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, and not by good works and so forth. And it seems like the, it seems like the, the first Reformation really got that. Obviously, they got that we are saved, we're forgiven by simple faith in Jesus alone. But the second Reformation I think we're in, to, we're in now has to do with beyond just seeing that we're forgiven, but to see that we're actually a new creation, that we have a new heart, that we're really sanctified now, that we're not being sanctified, um, that we are sanctified. And there is a progressive aspect to the sanctification, but it's a, it's a manifestation aspect, not a reality aspect, if you, if you will. In other words, you're already sanctified, you're already holy, you're already blameless, you're already righteous, you're already a new creation, but there's a progressive aspect to the Christian life in that there's a progressive manifestation of who you really are on the inside as you bear more and more fruit, as we bear more and more fruit, as we grow, as our mind is renewed, we're transformed outwardly by the renewal of the mind. So in this revelation of grace, uh, we really are beginning to see the new creation, the new heart, um, the reality that we're joined to Christ and Jesus is in us and we're in him. I say all that to say that it seems like in some circles we've gotten so excited about grace that the message um, has been, become more about grace as a concept as opposed to Jesus himself. So I just want to say, you know, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, he said, I, I fear lest as Satan beguiled Eve and moved her away from the simplicity of Christ to another Jesus, to another gospel. He said, I don't want you to, to go to another Jesus or to another gospel. And he warned the Corinthians to stay, stay firm in, in, in the focus on Jesus himself. Christ himself. I think it's very important to, to hear that because grace is really a person. Grace really is a person. And if we are preaching just a concept of grace, what happens is grace gets distorted because we, we leave the person of Jesus himself. Keep, keep in mind, our primary message, our primary message is not grace. Our primary message is Jesus himself. Only in Jesus can you come to understand the grace of God, the true grace of God. Only in Jesus is the grace of God revealed, understood, and experienced unto life and holiness. Only, only in him can you really understand what true grace is. If you separate, even if it's subtle, if you separate your, your, your ministry from Jesus himself <clears throat> and you focus more on the message of grace, what happens over time is that the message of grace begins to change or the definition of grace. Let me say it that way. The definition of grace begins to change over time. When we, lo when we lose the, the simplicity of the person of Christ, the person of Jesus himself, then the enemy can try to redefine what grace is and lead us down the wrong path. What the enemy cannot do theologically, because it's very clear in Scripture that Jesus is the center of everything and that's, that salvation and righteousness is only by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, what the enemy cannot do theologically in the Scripture, he will try to do linguistically or by changing the meaning of words. So if the enemy can't change things theologically in the scripture, he'll just take those very same scriptures and change the meaning of the words, which is what he did with, with Jesus when he said, is it not written this, is it not written this? 
So he loves to take the scriptures and distort and to redefine words. I'll give you an example. So some of these grace, so-called grace churches who are really not preaching Jesus, they're really preaching a message of grace in many cases, who have moved more and more to the, just a message of grace and not really preaching him. Now the definition of grace in these churches sometimes has, has now been, has evolved to where they have adopted a view that says same-sex relationships and same-sex marriages is all grace. God has grace for same-sex marriages. Or everybody's going to heaven. God, if, if everybody's not going to heaven, it's not grace. Everybody's, everybody is saved and everybody's going to heaven or it's not grace. Or, we should, we, should, we should acknowledge everybody as a child of God. Everybody on the earth is, is God's child, and we should acknowledge that. We're all in this together, and we all worship the same God. All those things are false. I mean, Jesus was very clear that unless you were born of the Spirit, God was not your father. He called the Pharisees. He said the Pharisees, Satan, Satan himself is your father. That's pretty clear. The reason why is because the whole human race, the fallen human race, does not have God as their father. We, as a fallen race, have fallen Adam as our father. As the scripture says, we all trace our lineage back to fallen Adam. To get out of Adam, you have to, keep, you have to be put in Christ. To, to leave this Adamic race, to leave this fallen race, you have to go through this great mystery of death and resurrection, which, which happens now through Jesus. This is the great mystery of why he came and why he died and why he was raised again. That we might go through death and judgment through him and be raised again in him and born of him. That we might be of a new Adam, a new race. The last Adam, Paul said, from heaven and no longer from the earth. A new creation, a new race of people that are not of the fallen Adam. But anyway, see, you see what I'm saying? If you, if you don't focus on Jesus himself, then over time, the enemy will redefine grace to you. Because if you stay close to Jesus in, the, in terms of your relationship and your intimacy and your dependency on him, he will never tell you, Jesus will never tell you that it is pleasing to him for, to have same-sex relationships or same-sex marriages. Jesus will never tell you that because it's not the Spirit of God. Jesus will never tell you that everybody's going to heaven. Because of your intimacy with him, you will hear him. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall bear much fruit. He will never tell you that everybody's going to heaven. He, he wept over Jerusalem because he knew many would not believe on him. Jesus was very clear. He says, if you believe on me, you will not die in your sins. But, he said, if you do not believe on me, you will die in your sins. And he was very clear that the human race, as it stands now, is not the children of God. That's why he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must, or else you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. For all this world lies in the kingdom of the evil one, in the darkness, and, and is in death, and has no life. It must be raised by simple faith in him. You see? So I just want to encourage you to remember the, the simplicity that Jesus himself is our message. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you. When I, when I come to visit, I, I, I was determined not to know anything among you but Jesus and him crucified. The son and his work. He was called, Paul said he was called to proclaim his son to the world. Calling them to believe on his son to believe on his son because therein is the true grace of God revealed the true grace of God where he has taken upon himself the sins of the world and has given us his own righteousness the gift of righteousness and he who has received this gift of righteousness and this abundant grace reigns in life I just want to read a few passages and we'll just wrap it up tonight let's look at Luke chapter 24 one of my favorite passages. 
Luke 24. So I guess what I'm trying to say is we don't have to stay weary and, and beat down. and It's just as simple, it's as simple, simple as turning our eyes upon him again. Remembering that he is with us always in us and we in him. That he has been made into us all things. That we lack nothing in him. That we are complete in him. We can lay our head on his chest as John did. You see, you cannot lay your head on a concept of grace. If you're just living on this concept of grace, if you're just living on this concept of, of grace and you've got this definition in your head that, you know, grace is just, you know, everybody is okay and we just got to love everybody, and yeah, that's true. We, do, we should love everybody, but you see what I'm saying? If it's just a concept, when you're in a hard time and a hard place, you can't lay your head on a concept, but you can lay your head on him. Him, H-I-M, a person. Grace is a person, and that's what John did. No matter what trouble you're going through, no matter what problem you have, you lay your head on his chest. Jesus, the center of everything, the center of all circles, the heart of God. For that is where you are now, hidden with Christ inside of God. When you do that, supernatural things happen on the inside of you that you cannot explain. A joy begins to well up that you cannot explain. A peace that you cannot explain. Passes understanding, Paul said, because you're looking to him. To him. Think of how many times he said things like this. He said, he said, I am the bread of life. I don't come to bring bread. I am the bread of life. When they asked Jesus, how do we get to the Father? How do we get to the Father, Jesus? You're, you're about to go to the Father. You tell us you're about to go to the Father. How do we get there? Show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am. You see? I am the way. I'm not here to teach you how to do things. I'm not here to teach you uh, formulas so you can work your formula. I'm not here to teach you platitudes and concepts. I'm here to reveal myself to you. I am the way. I am the reality that you seek. I am the truth. For this purpose, he told Pilate, for this purpose I have come into the world that I might bear witness to the truth, to the reality, to, the, to that which is invisible, that which made all things visible. For we know that that which is made was made by that which is unseen. I have come to reveal I am the core of all things. I am the reality that you seek. All things were made by me and through me and for me. And I am the life. You seek life. It doesn't come by doing. It doesn't come by learning. It doesn't come by acting. It comes by receiving me. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, I am the bread, I am the water, I am who I am. You see? It's a simple, but it's so, it's so profound, it's beyond. A child can get this. Unless you become as a child, Jesus said, you will not see this. God made it simple so that anybody could take of him and eat and drink of him. It's awesome. So let's just read these few words here. Luke 24, verse 13. This is right after the resurrection. Verse 13, Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking seven miles from Jerusalem to a city called Emmaus. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place, referring to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that they heard about. Verse 15, And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached, Jesus himself, and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Let me say this briefly. You know, I talk a lot about the door 
and the other reality that you're in right now in the spirit, that you're actually in another reality, that you've been translated from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, that you sit with him in heavenly places now. This is not some future thing, but it's a reality now. That you actually are walking in that reality. And Jesus said that he is the door and his, his sheep go in and out and find pasture. In other words, we can go in and out of that reality and get fed in the spiritual reality and come back to this, into this world and feed other people. In and out. This other reality. He, he lived in that other reality as a man walking the earth. Now we can live in that same reality. The kingdom of heaven doesn't come like men think. Jesus said it shall be within you. The spirit of God shall come in within you. And you'll step into another reality within you. Life, righteousness, peace, joy. In the spirit is the kingdom within. See? Now look at this scene where Jesus is walking right next to them. It's a picture of the two worlds. They don't recognize him, but he's right there. He's right there. But their eyes were kept from seeing that it was him. But he's right there. Two different realities, two different worlds. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 17. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Notice how God asks questions that he already knows the answer to. Like, where are you, Adam? I think he knew where Adam was. And here he's saying, what are you guys talking about? He knew exactly what they were talking about. So God will sometimes ask you something he already knows the answer to, but he wants to hear your answer. Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. So they're confused. They're sad. They don't understand. They thought he was going to redeem Israel, that he was going to lead Israel out of their bondage of of, under the Roman Empire, and they didn't understand. They thought he was, he was the Messiah that would rule in Israel. But he was crucified by the, by the Romans. And yet now he, they hear this news that he's, his body is gone, that, and, and somebody saw angels. They're confused, they're sad. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? See, they really didn't grasp the work of Messiah from the writings of the prophets. They didn't grasp it yet, how he was to come and die and be raised again, and how that would change everything. Everything. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses, now this is Jesus, beginning with Moses, they're still walking down the road to Emmaus, Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Notice how when Jesus teaches the scriptures, he explains himself from the scriptures. Verse 28, and they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over getting dark and he went in to stay with them now we know later in the passage that what was happening inside them because later in the passage we read wasn't wasn't our hearts burning within us while he's while he opened the scriptures to us we hear later how they were feeling that's why they begged him to stay because they were like what's going on inside of me he's he opened the writings of Moses and talked about the Christ he opened their understanding of what Jesus who Jesus was and what he did and what he accomplished, still not knowing this was Jesus talking to them. Okay, so then he says here, verse 30, 
And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Notice several things here. This is so rich. Notice how Jesus goes right to the scriptures to reveal himself in the scriptures. That's another tendency in the world today is to put the scriptures aside, to discredit the scriptures. Jesus said the scriptures are true. All things written by him must be fulfilled. And they were. And he goes right to the scriptures to reveal himself in the scriptures. Look at verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and, and found, together, found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Now look what happened here. It was dark. They're seven miles north of Jerusalem. They came into the house because it's dark. They were so excited, they left and ran in the dark all the way back to Jerusalem. They were so full of joy. They were so excited. Now, what, hap what happened? How did this, what, what, why did Jesus reveal himself in the breaking of the bread? He comes in, they sit down, he takes the bread which is unusual for the guest to do. The host would take the bread and break it and give to the guest. But he took the bread himself because he's Lord. He's, he revealed who he was. He's the king. And so he comes in, he takes the bread. Remember he said that this bread is my body? This is me. He breaks it, which is a picture of his work. He came to be broken for you and me. And he gave them to eat. Now, saints, look at the simplicity of that. Their eyes were opened when they simply saw that he is the bread that was broken that we can eat and live. You see, he's, he's telling us, remember me. And the new covenant meal is all about remembering him. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't remember a concept of grace. Don't remember just righteousness is a gift. Don't remember just these concepts. You see what I'm saying? Remember him. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him is the revelation of a gift of righteousness. In him is the revelation of life in him. In him is the revelation of true grace. But it's him. It's him. So by taking the bread and eating the bread, their eyes were open. What is he saying there? What is he teaching us? He's saying, just remember me and your eyes will be opened again. No matter how sad you are, no matter what you're going through, just remember me and your eyes will be opened again. You'll be so excited, you'll run seven, hour, seven miles, seven miles in the dark to tell somebody else about it. Like that song, I got to tell somebody, I got to tell somebody. So they came from a place of sadness and weariness to a place of joy and excitement that they just ran in the dark. Why? Because they saw him. They saw him. And look what happened. They came back. Verse, verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven, those who were with him. That's the eleven apostles saying, the Lord has really risen. I mean, we believe it now. And he has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. This is all about him. He himself stood in their midst. Verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. But he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you, as you see that I have. It is me. It's really me. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
God incarnate showed his hands and his feet. God with us, Emmanuel. Son of God, Son of Man. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were still could not believe it for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? He wanted to convince them that it's really me. And they gave him a, a piece of broiled fish. I can just imagine them taking a piece of broiled fish and just going, you can have this. We have, we have some fish. I mean, Jesus in all his glory is standing there and he takes the little fish and eats it before them and they're, they're freaking out. And they're like, oh my gosh. And they, they sit down, they're, they're kind of calming down now because they're seeing, oh hey, okay, I remember that's how he used to eat. That's how he used to eat with us, you know? I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine being in that room? They, they sat down and they calmed down a little bit because, you know, he was eating like he always used to eat with them. And so that was like, he knew that would calm them down because, you know, they used to eat together all the time. He says, do you have anything here to eat? I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. It's me. It's me. It's so awesome. And then he says here, verse 42, they gave him the piece of the broil fish. And verse 43, and he took it and he ate it before them. He ate it before them so they would just relax. And then verse 44, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me. Oh, don't you see it? It's all about him. These things which were written. He didn't say these things which were written about the grace of God that was going to come. Or these things that were written about the new covenant that was coming. Or these things that were written about this gift of righteousness that was coming. Those are all very important things and awesome things. But they're only real and true and powerful in him. He says, these are the words which I spoke to him while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And I said this before, but I'll, I'll just repeat it if you haven't heard this before. But the Hebrew Bible is broken up into three sections. You can go buy a Hebrew Bible from a Jewish synagogue, and you can look at the contents of a Jewish Bible from a Jewish synagogue. It's broken up into three sections. It's called Torah, the writings of Moses, first five books, Torah. Then it's the, the writings of the prophets. That's all the major prophets the, is the second section. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the major prophets. Then the third section at the top is, says Psalms. The section is called Psalms. Psalms contains Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the minor prophets, and the rest of the Bible. So when he said the writings of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, he was saying the three sections of the entire Old Testament. So he, was, he wasn't saying just Psalms. He was saying the whole, the whole thing, which includes the minor prophets and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. When he said prophets, he was saying all the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of the major prophets. And when he said the writings of Moses, he was talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. You see, isn't that awesome? So he, he said, everywhere. it's everywhere. It's all, it's all about him. Everything. So when he made that, they knew what he was talking about. He said, these, that the things concerning myself must be fulfilled. Now, I love this verse 45. This is a prayer that I encourage you to pray. It's an awesome thing that happens right here. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow. He opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. When your mind is opened to understand the scriptures, what happens? You see him in all the scriptures. You see? When, you're, when, you, when someone doesn't have their mind really opened by the spirit to see the scriptures... They're very complex. Their theology is chaotic. It's confusing. It's complex. It is uh, it's difficult to put together. It's not because they haven't had their minds opened to see the scriptures. It's very legalistic usually. But when your mind is opened, you see, oh my God, 
It's all about him. Everywhere. Everywhere. Then he says, verse 46, And then he said to them, Thus it is written, this is right after he opened their minds, he says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now look at how powerful this is. Look at the simplicity of it. The revelation of Christ in the scriptures. Jesus and him crucified, Paul said, is all I want to teach. Brings the revelation of a complete forgiveness of all sin. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You live forgiven every day. Because of him. You take the bread and you eat the bread and remember that he died for us. He died for you personally. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. The most powerful thing in the world is to know you're forgiven. Think of how people live under condemnation and guilt. But it's only made real because of him. A revelation of him brings the revelation of what his work did in that he died for us. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He who believes on him is forgiven. Remember what brought the Holy Spirit in the house of Cornelius when Peter was sent by the angels to teach, to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles? Peter was in Cornelius' house and he was telling them about Jesus through, the, through angelic visitations. Peter knew he was supposed to go. And as he was talking about Jesus, it was this word, he said this word, and all who believe on his name or believe on him, Jesus himself, all who believe on him shall receive the forgiveness of all sins. The next verse says, when Peter said those words, the Holy Spirit fell upon everyone in the room. You see how powerful the simplicity of Christ, Jesus himself, and why did he come? To die that you and I might be forgiven. Awesome. That will remove the weariness. That will restore the joy. That will make you run seven miles to tell somebody. In the dark. And they didn't have flashlights. That's right. The candle wouldn't work. They're running too fast. So powerful. And he says, and you are witnesses of these things. We are his witnesses. His, H-I-S, his, the person, him, his, his witnesses of him. We speak of him. Only in him is grace made real and understood properly. So we're not distorted by every wind of doctrine or every cunningness of the enemy to redefine words, to take you down a path into darkness, to change the meaning of grace. Jude is a book about a warning to the church. The book of Jude is about, you know, be aware of certain men have crept into the church unawares and they have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness by redefining what grace is, saying this is all good, this is all good, this is all grace, this is grace. No, they left the person of Jesus. They left that intimacy with Jesus. They left that reality of Jesus, or they would never have said that. Jesus loves all men, and he, and he knows what all men struggle with. The flesh, we all have the flesh, but he calls all men to believe on him, to follow him. He and only he can live his life through us. We cannot do it. We can never could do it, but he can do it. He does it as we rest in him. 
we've been called to proclaim him. Simplicity of Christ. So I just close there tonight. Just want to just encourage you, no matter what you're going through, if you feel weary, just take some time and get alone and take a piece of bread and break it and remember him. Eat it with him. Lay your head on his chest tonight. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow, Jesus said. For the evil tomorrow will, will handle it tomorrow. But tonight, remember him. Tonight, put your head on his chest and remember him. Center of the universe. Rock of ages. Cleft for me. And he is faithful to hold you. And you will have no need because you have him. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these things, the simplicity. I pray that we'll all go home tonight and just have an awesome rest. No matter what what fear we may have or what struggle or what challenge, help us to remember you. You said, remember me. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, James. That's a great message. It's all about him. Amen. Let's stand and uh, we'll be dismissed. Yes, Miss Brown. Sure, come in. I had a chance to do a little shopping today at the Faith Christian Bookstore, and I was just browsing and uh, picked up a few items, and I saw this little item. Didn't purchase it for anyone in particular. And it says, it's a pen, and it says, overflowing with thanks. And before coming tonight, I read it, or I read the little saying on the back, and I thought, I've got to give this to James tonight. This is for James, and it says, you've given more than we'll know, your time, your talents, you have given yourself to show the Savior's love to others. We are overflowing with gratitude to you and our God who brought you to serve among us. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians I can move my thing, 1, 2 says, We give thanks to God always for you. This is for you. Thank you. It just, it just spit the bill. Thank you so much. Thank you, friend. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's been a good night. Don't forget tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, also, uh, George, would you put the basket out? Yeah, the, the basket. There is no basket. I don't mind not passing a basket, but I'd like to at least have a basket. <laughs> and if you'd like to uh, give anything to James, uh, uh, there's the basket. Uh, we will uh, keep track of it and count it, and uh, whatever you give will go to him, all right? I'm sorry? Oh, yes, yes, there will be. Uh, if you want to make sure you tell Don, and uh, he will uh, make sure that you get a copy. Don't ask for what you don't want. And if you want too many, we'll charge you for it. But if it's just a, it's just a couple, we'll give them to you, okay? <laughs> if you want 30 of them, you're going to have to pay. All right. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that... Uh, as they said at the tomb, he's alive. Hallelujah. He's alive. And because you live, Lord Jesus, your life has been imparted to us. And we receive it. 
We receive it by faith. And we're just like the guys walking along the road with you. Just teach us what we need to know to understand you better, to see you more clearly, to hear your voice ringing within our hearts. Ask you to bless our evening, watch over us, uh, take care of James as he travels back to New Orleans. Uh, bless him for having blessed us. Watch over his Cindy and his children uh, as they uh, turn him loose to come to Slidell. We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You're dismissed.